this is Everyday Leaders. I'm your host, Melanie Ake. Everyday Leaders is an inspirational show to help you develop strategies to overcome everyday obstacles in your life. Today's guest will share the disciplines that he practices every day that allows him to achieve a life of success. Today's Everyday Leader shares his personal journey of failing forward and how this has taught him valuable lessons for his life. You see, when we fail, we're able to take a step back and understand what it's going to take the next time to succeed, and then how to adjust your life to achieve your goals. His personal determination and success in the military is now allowing him to be an inspiration for other veterans, and soon he will be a university professor. Listen in and learn the value of failing forward every day to live your life with success. Judd Crawford is my guest today. Everyday Leaders, 50 and 50, show 37 starts now. Welcome to the program, Judd. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, so Judd, you have been in the service. Uh, I'm bringing you on this program because you have so much to share to help others. We have known each other for a very long time good old Greenwood community and elementary, uh, middle school, high school, and uh, still connected, even went to, to Ball State together. So I really wanted to bring you on this to share your lessons of life, of discipline, being in the military, learning the things that you've done. Uh, you have a lot to teach us. So thank you for coming on the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um I'm still the same person you probably knew back in middle school or high school, but uh, yeah. not too much has changed, hopefully. So. <laughs> not too much has changed. You know, part of my 50 and 50 isn't just about us being 50. <laughs> well, that's what I thought this was about. It's called 50-50 anyway. So we can do this 50-50. So. We can do a 50-50, right? You, you give 50, I'll give 50. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, but, but I think, you know, connecting people to stories of inspiration. You know, when I think about people that have lived their life with success and are continuing to live uh, their lives with success. It's all about the journey that, that you're on and what you've learned and what you're applying in your life to help others. So I'd like for you to help us, you know, understand we, when we talked a little bit on the pre-show, one of the, the big themes we talked about was failure. And so, you know, some of my shows are, are based around themes, but I think for yours, it's not that you are a failure. <laughs> it's you have learned so much from your failures and you really understand how to apply that in your life. And uh, and so take us back to, you know, here we are midlife, right? And and so the things that you have learned about yourself, you know, differently now than what you maybe thought about yourself, your own beliefs, when you were going through school, going through college, entering the military, right? And and failure, what did that mean to you when you were younger, when you were 17, 18, 19? What did, what did failure look like to you? Well, yeah, I'd like to just start off by saying that, uh, I mean, failure basically is what makes you. And uh, that can be taken in, you know, in context of negative or positive. Uh, I would say for every success that I've had, it's probably been a, it's been based on a thousand failures, and I think that that should be true with anything. Um, gosh, even in it's like it's like just going to Ball State, and not you know just being kind of a subpar student at Ball State, and then going the military after that. You know, uh, 
being very humbled by the military experience. You know, I mean, there's lots of failures that were involved in there. I mean, everything from uh, you know, trying out different schools, getting knocked over the head, going to combat, getting, you know, I mean, experiencing stress. Uh, there's, I, I cannot tell you how many times that I've tried to take a test or I've tried to pass, pass something or get somewhere and, and, and there's been a failure involved with it, mm-hmm. but it, I mean, the key is just to keep going. And, and, and I mean, trust me, I have gotten down before. I mean, there's, I mean, somebody who doesn't get down after failing, I mean, that's, I mean, they're not human, but as well, from every failure, you can learn something. And, uh, I think the military is primed for that. Military tests you by actually making you fail mm-hmm. and then seeing how you react to it. And that's the key. How do you react to it? How do you learn from it? Mm-hmm. Well, and, so, and when you start in boot camp, right? And so what was your, when you first signed up and people may not know this, so um, you signed up for the Coast Guard and when did that actually happen? When did you sign up for the Coast Guard? What, how old were you? I actually signed up for the Coast Guard when I was uh, um, in 1989. Uh, yeah, I left. The, I left the college and went to Coast Guard, and that one that was the first boot camp. And but gosh, from then on, I've been through. Uh, I mean, I've been through Army basic training. I've been through officer basic training, one officer basic training, through you know two sets of you know, special forces training, through airborne training, and every single one of those involves some sort of failure. It really did. Mm-hmm. Because and, the military prepares you, like you said, as you go through boot camp. You know, they want to break you down to ma- to make you, in a sense, feel like you're kind of powerless and you need to be able to learn from your commander because you're going to be in really difficult situations. That's, that's absolutely correct. And I, uh, I'm not saying that I did anything with any kind of success or, or, or hard charging. I just, it just made me realize I mean, you can either face failure with, you know, a couple of, you can either just wither up and just say, I can't do this and quit. Or you can look at an alternative, or you can just deal with the fact that no, you know, maybe I'm taking a different kind of, maybe I need to take a different approach. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you really want to overcome it, learn from know yourself, you know, and then know what you're up against. You know, it's just like the old battle attaché there called uh, "Know Thy Enemy, Know Thyself." Mm-hmm. That's how you basically how you can win anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying I'm a big, I'm, I'm actually a pretty humble person. I don't sit around and you know, you know, talk about everything I've ever done, but I think it's just not giving up and then just learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. But how do you exactly. know, you know, when you're, when you're, um, let's see, you were 21, right? When you joined the Coast Guard, mm-hmm. how do you know enough about yourself at 21? Looking back, right? We always say, I wish I would have known then what I know now. <laughs> that was always what we heard. And so now <laughs> we're saying it, right? <laughs> Well, it's kind of interesting because back then it was a lot of immaturity, and I did not take failure well, and I whined and cried probably like the, like the next person. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying high school people are bad. I'm just saying I, I, I it, it, it allowed me to mature quicker mm-hmm. is, is what it did. I'm not – I mean, I didn't <laughs> – it allowed it, – it, but when I left the military, when I left the Coast Guard the first time, I realized I did enjoy that discipline. Mm-hmm. I really was attracted to the discipline. I think that's what – got me back to the military after a you know, small stint of being out. So, uh, mm-hmm. and I was, I, I mean, I, am, I just realized that, you know what? I mean, I could, I could do this for 13 more years and I could retire. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so you did but at the same time. I, <laughs> I, I think I just kind of belonged in that. I became a part of that culture. Yep. And I think as a young man growing up and not knowing what he wanted in college, it's like, well, the military, it makes you, 
think real quick what you want to do with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and whether you want to give up, whether you want to go on, whether you want to do four years and get out. You know, but I chose to stay in, and I realized I, I, you know, I found myself a niche with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's you begin to learn yourself, right? You begin to learn, like you said, what works, and you begin to know your strengths and what you really wanted to go after, right? Those goals that you wanted to set for yourself. Correct. So, so when you um, got out of the Coast Guard, and then wh- how long were you out of the service before you reenlisted? I was actually out for about for about uh, four and a half years, actually. I mean, and we moved um, back to um, Indiana for a brief period of time, and I worked in manufacturing for, uh, for a while. Um, it wasn't bad. I I think a lot of the a lot of the things I learned in the military, I took right into the civilian workforce. Mm-hmm. And I was a hard charger there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a brief period of time. Now the Coast Guard is not like the Army. It's, it was a little different, but I still had a lot of discipline. I mean, I mean to, uh, I mean that 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 was instilled within me. And what got to the point of joining, rejoining the Army, I always kind of felt like I needed to be in the, in the service again. And what really kind of was a tipping point there was probably 9/11. 9/11, and then and then the company I worked for, the sales kind of went kind of south. And I'm like, you know what, 13 more years, I can retire. But at the same time, I wanted to do something. I, that, that was my, when 9-11 happened, I'm, I'm not sure. If, everybody knows where they were at 9-11. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go get them. Mm-hmm. And so you, <laughs> you felt that, was that just a, now tell us about your family. Were your, was your family military also? My dad, my dad was 20 years in a, uh, in, in, in what's called the NOAA Corps, and it's actually a uniform service. It was, well, you know about NOAA that does the weather. Mm-hmm. It used to be a uniform service that, and I traveled quite a bit before I came, before we settled in Greenwood, before he retired in Greenwood. And he actually moved everywhere from Seattle to Detroit to, I mean, he went to Alaska. And, you know, and so I guess you would say that I came from a military background from that. Mm-hmm. And then my mom's brother was in the military also. So I have a kind of a background with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my mom's father was also in the army. So, uh, so there's a little bit of a background that I think has been kind of, has kind of drawn me to the, uh, I mean, the, uh, nautical part of it was what drew me to the coast guard with, with dad being, uh, he was on, he was on the high seas. He was with the NOAA Corps up in Alaska for you know most of his career. And then I think a lot of the army, and the Air Force that was in my family made me want to join the Army. But I think the turning point was the uh, was the 9-11. Mm-hmm. I think I wanted to really uh, – I, I wanted to make a difference there. Mm-hmm. And my, my joke is is that uh, be careful what you wish for <laughs> because it was sooner did I enlist right after 9-11. I mean I was probably you know, on the first wave in Iraq, So, uh, which I guess looking back kind of it's something to be proud of. But at the same time, I mean there's more failures and stressors involved in that also. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's hard to – keep a family going also with the, uh, you know, with the military and, and those kinds of deployments and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what did but, you do when you, when you were deployed and we think okay. about nine 11 and, you know, I think all of us as Americans were like, go get them, you know, and supporting everybody that had the capacity to leave, to leave their families and go on this charge. Mm-hmm. And so what, what was your role? What did you do once you, you know, got over there and how, how did that look? Well, I mean, uh, my very first role for that was uh, you know, I was involved with the uh, I was attached to uh, um, the first armor division out of uh, Fort Hood, 
but I was stationed at Fort Sill. I got attached to them, and then I went overseas and was a, uh, I was actually assigned to a tank unit, and we, <laughs> I was actually in a support role, but I ended up fulfilling, you know, being a tank driver, you know, I mean, the, you know, the first wave in, and that was a, uh, that was all the way up into Baghdad. Um, I will say that I was stranded for a period of time um, with a small group of, of guys, and by the time we, I mean, just to make a long story short, we pushed all the way to Mosul, which is a the northern part of Iraq. I was, I finally made it back with the main wave, but you know, all within there, but then, but then the mission, but then within by that August, when we thought we were all coming home, until our families were coming home, we didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's when the insurgency kicked off and it, you know, it, it just kind of jumped up all around us. And then we ended up going back to Baghdad to, you know, thin that off. Then we got, we spent some time on the Iranian border and my role completely changed. It went from just being in a main conventional warfare into more of the insurgency. Um, I mean, house to house kind of deals. I mean, where we had to get involved with the locals and that mission of Iraq completely changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll say that, you know, it's like what, you know, I signed up to basically work on ammunition systems and I ended up driving tanks and, and becoming an infantryman. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, I never did the job I was ever trained for, but I trained to be a rifleman to begin with. So that's, that's where I took it. And I was just a troop on the ground there. And then another, uh, I also ran convoys, um, and I, uh, you know, helped train the, you know, the Iraqi, you know, the, the Iraqi Defense Corps, you know, and several other, and and all the while doing this, you know, to make a long story short, you know, I, you know, from the time I went into the time I got out, I worked my way up into, you know, I mean, sergeant, and then I worked my way to, I, I became a warrant officer, and I'm not sure if you know the uh, the military rank structure, I became a specialist in in uh, military transportation, and I ran convoys. I mean, I actually thought I was going to be uh, running ships, but, but you know, I, I used my experience in the Coast Guard to try to get myself a, a warrant position, which is a W-1, which is a higher, it's like in the middle between commissioned officer and and enlisted. I got mm-hmm. myself into, into into that training, which I failed at first, mm-hmm. but I ended up coming back. And then eventually I got uh, an opportunity to, to become an officer. And I had to scramble to make my uh, bachelor degree in order to make captain, but I ended up doing it while on active duty. So uh, I guess, I mean, part of the success I would say with that was that going all from you know, the lowest private soldier that you, if you understand the rank structure, all the way up to captain within the 10 years time. Mm-hmm. But and that, that was every- all of intentionality. You know, when I think about your story and I look at, you know, yeah, you failed, but you really reflected on, but I'm not where I want to be. Right. It was okay. This didn't work out, but now what can I do to adjust to, to go back and, and change this. And for you, you were exposed to so many things. So like you said, when you got over to Iraq, you were doing, you were trained to do a certain job, but because you had the capacity, you know, the open-mindedness and the training, right? It prepared you, it conditioned you for the things that you were going to experience. Yeah, exactly. And you're exactly right. And what's kind of unique about that is that, I mean, I've, gosh, I've done many different jobs in the army and probably none that I went none that I really trained for. So it's almost like, you know, you, I, you know, I trained for field artillery. I, I, you know, I, I did infantrymen. I, uh, 
I actually trained to, uh, I, I became trained in logistics and I did field artillery. It's just, it's, just, it, it's never, it, it never ever, I don't think you're trained in the military for what you actually do if you do see combat. Mm-hmm. You just have to have that mental, that mental flexibility. Mm-hmm. That mindset. It's really, I, I mean, yeah. You just adapt on the fly. Mm-hmm. And it's, and if you don't, it's like you're, I mean, literally you're dead. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but doesn't that prepare you for life? I mean, in a way, I think it did. Yeah, I think it really did, and, and and I think for a young man who you know, age twenty years old, didn't know what he wanted to do. I mean, I think that's a it kind of that that pointed me in the right direction. I can't say that the military is going to make everybody successful. I mean, and shoot, it didn't make me successful for a long time. I thought, I'd, I mean, I I, I I I contemplated getting out of the army after four years, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I mean, I just seen enough already, and I. I think it does tend to, I mean, it tend to make a family life, you know, you know, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I can't, there, there's another, you know, failure right there. And so, I mean, you, so you have to learn from everything that's gone on and not, and realize that you want to, you know, keep your purpose alive. Keep, I mean, keep your drive alive, keep your, be positive, but yet, or, you know, you know, be be objective about what you want in life, but don't let everything get you down. I mean, because life will throw you a curveball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it truly will. But, you know, as long as you just, I call it suck up and drive on. But, you know. <laughs> I like teaching kind of the framework, right? So you you can frame your life or your purpose around here's the goal, right? Here's the goal that I want to get to. But the journey may be different. It may not be exactly what's been structured or laid out in your mind. Because a lot of things change. Things along your path, you know, may influence you or may help you go in a different direction or or may draw you back from being able to get there at a certain time. And so the flexibility that, that, you know, a lot of people either compare themselves, you know, like, okay, I'm going to join the military. You know, maybe you have buddies, right, that join the military that go, hey, I want to get to this certain rank this quickly, and maybe you make it, maybe you don't, maybe your life goes in different directions. But the point is, if you're consistent in your own ideas, right, in your own process, you will get there in your own time. And, and it, it will be your own time, right? And you're going to learn through that um, because that's that's kind of what, <laughs> what it's about. And, and like you said, you failed and failed and failed and failed at different things as you reflect on this and go, well... Yeah, I I accomplished the things that I wanted to, and here's how I did it. This was my way to do it. And your thought process has become so strong and disciplined through it that now it's adaptable to anything that life kind of brings you. You know, you have this kind of peace, if you will. And, and, and you actually bring up an interesting point there, I mean, especially when it comes to you know, the comparing. Is, I mean, it's easy to compare yourself with somebody else, especially when you're trying to accomplish something i mean you could look and say oh, oh gosh that person can do it and i can't do it and and you, and you browbeat yourself to death you know i gotta be like that person well you know, I, you know like i've indicated it's like you know i mean i got you have something to bring to the table i have something to bring to the table mm-hmm. i mean it's you could probably do things you could run this podcast better than i could i mean <laughs> I, mean, I have some help <laughs> But I mean, we all have we all have different temperaments, talents, and convictions. I mean, it's just you have to realize what you are good at and how you can bring that to the table. And people will actually look at that and say, you know what I mean? I want to be like him. And 
but don't get caught up in saying, well, you know, I want to be like that person and let it just drag you back thinking you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, look at what you can do because it, I said, everybody can do something. I said, I can't, I can't cook worth a darn, you know, but <laughs> Stacy can. It's just, it's just, <laughs> I, I try, you know, um, but it's, it, 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 just to sit around and fret about that, you know, I mean, I, I mean, that's kind of a bad example, but, uh. <laughs> but it's true. It's you know, but it's using your strengths. It's really using and I, I and turning into your strengths so that you can be fulfilled, right? If you always thought about like, oh, I need to cook, but I don't know how to do it or what I want or you know how to have the balanced meal, and so having that other person in your life to fulfill those gaps, that's really huge. If you can allow yourself, you know, the capability to kind of think into what does that look like because. We all say <laughs> we end up with people that are our opposites, right? <laughs> and that's what also drives us nuts <laughs> because we're like, wait a minute, you're doing things that I can't do and I'm doing things that you can't do, right? And that's kind of the, that's kind of the match, if you will. Um, but and, that's really that's interesting. A, and that's the keys on the important point I mean, as far as leadership. I mean, now I, I, I always thought myself, you know, I'm too quiet and I'm not a very social person to become a leader. But if you think about it, I mean, as a leader, you have probably a bunch of people underneath you who can probably do who can probably it's like, you know what, we gotta put our heads together and figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. So you pull everybody together and say, Okay, who can do this? And then somebody there's always somebody down below you that has a better idea and you, you can acknowledge them right there. Mm-hmm. And, and and then you and, and then you utilize those things and then boom, your team gets something done. You know, I mean that's and it's not really necessarily it's basically empowering them. And they end up respecting you back as a leader for you acknowledging them like mm-hmm. that. That's probably been my best. Uh, that's been one of my best takeaways as a leader. Well, it's always those I mean, quotes, you know, that they say, you know, I I work with or yeah. or I work for instead of ooh these people work for me, right? It's the whole attitude that how you approach things is if I'm going to instruct you how to do this, kind of like when you're in boot camp, right? You don't know what you don't know. So you have to have someone to mentor you and teach you until you get to a certain level. And then once you build your confidence and your skill set, then you get to the level that you can mentor and coach others. But as you learn your levels of leadership, right, you get to the, the confidence level and the capacity that then you can start to bring others up. And we talk about leadership being influence, right? And so you you build the people around you that have the same passion, the same drive, the same desires, and you really, you work as a team. It's just a constant um, circle. You know, you're all inter-engaged with ideas and, you know, really lifting up the purpose. And and that's what every company, what every relationship, what every, you know, communication, it's all about getting to that level. So for you to teach us about the discipline about facing our fears you know really about staying true to your own focus and dream is is super important jed um i also want you to talk a little bit about and i thank you really for sharing because i know this is not easy you know you talk about your life but there's a lot of things that um you close your eyes you know maybe all of those times weren't so great right that was emotional um being away from family and being being kind of in that environment, and so you come back to, you know, be be a civilian, 
and you've got the support of, of the VA, right? And, and the VA is a really critical factor um, for vets and, and for people that have experienced military life. And those of us that haven't experienced that, we see, we drive by the VA. We hear about, you know, the programs that are either supported or not. But how does the VA, what does that mean to you now that you're back? I think, I mean, and I would actually say that, I mean, I'd be an advocate of the VA. Now, unfortunately, I think the VA gets a black eye for every bad, like one bad case that happens every so many months or something like that or whatever. They get a black eye for it. I think it's kind of unfair. I think it's hard. And the VA is working with a limited, they try to work within a budget, but yet they're expected to like cure every veteran out there you know at the same time and that's just that's impossible to do um you know but at at the same time um i mean the va i i don't want to blame the va on everything because they're actually have the services there they put the bureaucracies in place in order to protect themselves Mm -hmm. you know from all these isolated cases that go bad but i would actually for those that are veterans i would say you know what i mean if you're really feeling bad reach out to the va don't wait for them to come to you because they're not going to find you you know, now me myself, I came back and reached out. Well, I, I had to for one thing because it was mandated. I mean, it was a congressional mandate to go see the VA just in my situation because you know you've been to war or stuff like that. They mm-hmm. wanted to. I, I had to do it. I mean, of course, I was all tough. I, I don't need the VA, but but now that I'm looking back now, yeah, I'm glad I did reach out to the VA. And I think it's, but they're there to help you. They can't just find every veteran who's. I would also challenge veterans that I mean. I mean, please, I mean, if you need help, seek it out because it's there. You know, um, I mean, really, and, and if they put you on hold, keep calling. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean the, the VA is a hard I, – I feel sorry for the administrators of the VA. They have a big job to – they have to work with them. I said they have a – they're taking your taxpayers' money, and, and it's a limited budget because they don't want to just give them money and money and money, you know, and they have to <laughs> – and they're expected to cure every veteran out there, and it's literally impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's I, and like I said, for every veteran that like commits suicide or something on a VA watch, I think it's just it's very very sad. It's not only just sad for the veteran, but it's, it's sad the VA gets the rap for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they, I think they do as an entity try to to do what they're supposed to, and unfortunately things fall under a bureaucracy when stuff like that gets really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I think it's very important, I, and, and I'm actually. I've been kind of the poster boy of VA. I mean, I've been actually used in studies right now on how troops can deal with PTSD. And just because I've been diagnosed with it, I mean, I'm not saying that I've overcome it at all. I still have my moments, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm any kind of tough at all, to be honest with you. Um, But the VA is actually, I mean, it's interesting you brought this up because they've talked with me and they've talked with Stacy on how, I mean, they even interviewed her on, what I go through, you know, I mean, how, how I react to things. And they use that as like a, uh, I mean, um, what's that, you know, control group for mm-hmm. troops who are really having a tough time. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that I can give back to the troops, it's hard for me to kind of talk one-on-one with troops about, you know, about war, but if I can get, if I can be a control group on how to actually overcome those things, which I have been doing with the VA you know, in, in a study group with the VA, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm all about, you know, I mean, helping veterans, even though I don't do it directly. Mm-hmm. But it's about conditioning. You know, it's it's yeah. um, it's just like boot camp in a sense 
right? It's helping people understand that you have been there and that you can help them through it, right? And and not even, not maybe the exact same way, but you can give them an experience that you have had and how you're dealing with it. And more than anything, you know, that's what this program is about is helping people connect to and identify with people that have overcome specific strategies and specific problems or challenges in their life. And then what do we do? You know, having you go to the VA now and be able to help other people, that's a, again, that's a leadership level, right? You understand that having someone there to be able to confide in, to be able to say, hey, yeah, that's, that's pretty normal. Or, hey, you may need to connect to some other people to get even more help, right? You understand that. Yep, exactly right. I mean, and, and there's a counselor that calls me on a normal basis, and I, I, she asks me questions, and I tell her on, on how I deal with certain things, and just like what you know, I, I tell her. So uh, I, I guess they use that data, and they, you know, they they use that for other programs. I mean, I'm hopefully I'm doing something something positive. Mm-hmm. So. Well, absolutely. Well, anything that you can do, you know, it's about our experiences and our journey. And so many people say, "I'm looking for this billboard." Right. I'm looking for this billboard to tell me what I'm supposed to do to contribute. I feel like something's pulling my energy, but I don't know how to give back. I don't know how to use uh, what's what this energy is. And so what your journey has been about being in the military and being learning this structure and this discipline and how it's been able to help you learn a lot of things about your life. And so now if you can give back and teach other people that hey, this is a journey, these are the, the pieces that you have to put together to be able to be strong, right, to get through it. And and so for messaging, right, is is you got to try a lot of different things and maybe not succeed at first, but, but fail, learn what that failure is going to provide to you as a value so that you can kind of turn the next page, right, and say, Okay, exactly well, right. this is the next part of my journey. This is where I'm supposed to go next. And you're young, you're 50, and you have way more to give. <laughs> and you think about contribution and, you know, being curious about things. Have you thought about kind of the next stage and and what that might look like for Jed? Well, I mean, the next stage where I'm, I'm already doing it. I'm taking the, uh, I'm getting my master's right now with what the benefits the Army's the GI Bill has given me, so I'm doing my master's as we speak. I should be completed by February. I mean, that's and, and and what and I've gotten degrees in history, so I'm I'm actually going to teach at my alma mater at University of Indianapolis as an Yay. adjunct faculty. So uh, I I I have to. I've realized I've had to dial down, not talking like a captain in front of young students. So mm-hmm. I need to be very you know very very humbling and at least engaging that way. <laughs> uh, kind of turn, I'll have to, I can turn the discipline down a little bit. I'll have to be, as my wife calls, a uh, little Captain Crawford on them. You know, I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> no, but sometimes you know that that's that discipline that comes through. That you know, being authentic, right, in teaching whatever it is, history. I mean, it's great that you would teach history because you can say, "Well, this general did this," you know, <laughs> right? And, well, my, and well, well, 
Well, my thing about that is that you know, history seems like it's such a such a blah subject if, you all, if everybody thinks about it going back, you know. And uh, well, unless you took Mr. Sloop's class, but, uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah. it was great. But, but, but I mean, history is normally a dry subject. My thing is telling the story and getting them interested. In mm-hmm. I, I think history tends to get thrown by the wayside, and even traveling quite a bit and seeing different cultures out there, you know. I mean, I think history and you know geopolitics plays a big factor in the way things are in the world I, that's probably the that's been my one drive right now and i mean trust me i didn't just hang it up right when i retired i've been kind of I, I think my motor always runs i have to just learn how to govern it mm-hmm. <laughs> well in in history that's, it's, uh, that's so important because everybody has their own story to connect to what your purpose is right and so you've learned that um you know, learning from the military learning about where you went in your life and now how that affects everything else that happened in the war to the world. Those were critical points that you can really teach from. And and you were a part of that. You lived it. Uh, we, we, we teach in leadership classes all the time. You know, you always want to hire a tour guide, but you want to make sure that they are, they've been on the trip that you've been on, on the journey instead of just, hey, I'm going to give you a brochure and why don't you go here and, and maybe try these restaurants because they have a five star on them, right? <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's very important. Uh, (laughs) But but yeah, I I mean, of course, it has to. I just, I mean, especially, I think the youth need to be very well mentored and and, you know engaged anymore. And I think it's it's very important for this generation also. So I mean, uh, you know, my my own kids. I mean, all of our kids. So I mean, that's uh, that's my my thing of giving back. I mean, if I am contributing to the VA, hopefully that's good. I mean, uh, my service was. Yeah, you know, looking back on my service, I'm proud of everything. I really am proud, despite some of the setbacks. But you know, I mean, I stuck it out, and uh, but it's time to move on. And, and I, I look back on it with, you know, with a smile. But now I'm probably going into different directions. It's that's, and as I look at my reflection in the mirror here, my hair is growing out. I think it's kind of cool. I've had, <laughs> I've had short hair for the longest time, so. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm able to make those decisions on what I want now. So, uh, mm-hmm. well, and that's what this, this leadership, uh, really in our own life is about is understanding what is important to us, what we value that we can take away and, and move towards the passions that we have. Right. A lot of times we don't figure that out for a while. And, and so now when, as you're going through getting your master's, teaching it at U of I, U Indy, as a lot of people know it now, you know, more power to those kids that are going to come through your class because you're going to add so much value to them. It's not uh, just something that, hey, I need some extra money. You have passion around this. And so the kids are going to be lucky to be in your class and sit there and, and really be able to understand that you were you were there, you were a part of this. So that's really, really cool. I can't wait to connect you after you after you start teaching those classes, get some feedback. <laughs> yeah. And even looking at this, I mean, it's too easy for you, for people to say that, you know, I mean, just even having troops that have been my kid's age, you know, yep. um, it's easy to look back and say, you know what, this generation is, but you know what, this generation, I mean, they're saying the same thing about us Yep. You know, when we were young. And now you're looking back, it's like, well, you know what? I mean, these kids aren't so bad. I mean, these kids are, are, are going through the same things we did and, and well, well, different technologies that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. But it's just a different thing that we need to be more in touch with. Them. I, I, I do, I do believe that. I, I think we need to be in touch with this generation, and and we don't need to say all those thinking kids. They just 
they can't grow up. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I, it, we tend to do that just like my my parents' generation did that all the way back in my day was better, you know. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? I mean, we all were going through that growth thing at the time. And if you think about it, this even relates to me when I first got out of college there. It's like, well, I was young and immature. What did I know what I wanted to do? Exactly. I mean, it's just the same concept. It's the same concept. We talk about, I, I love Simon Sinek. I follow him like crazy. And he has this great teaching on the millennials. You know, and I did see that video. Oh, I did see that video. That was interesting. It yeah. is great because it talks about it's not that that, that that it is like you said. It's not that they don't care, and that we cared more, right? It's that they have been influenced by their surroundings. They don't know what they don't know. <laughs> we grew up with televisions, you know, in one room in our households and telephones that had a cord on them from the kitchen (laughs) and you shared it and you didn't have access to all you had to go to the library to look things up right it was a different world and so now um, the minds have been expanded because there's so much that is really engaging them and 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 really distracting at some points you know you could say but their brains are able to multitask so much information today they're exposed to a lot of they're exposed to a lot and actually, that could, you know, that could that could be good or bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, they're actually exposed, and they can deal with a lot of this technology better than I can. Mm-hmm. I'm having to learn from them. I have to have my son come here and you know fix my phone for me, you know, or <laughs> fix my computer. Like, or what, what do I adjust on this? He goes, just do that, Dad, and hits two buttons. I'm like, what just do? Exactly. You know, but, I mean, but you know, they, we yeah. talk about their brains at the capacity at their when they're learning that. But it's changing. You know, I'm I have lots of history in, in medicine, medical world, and so that's going to change the way we approach medicine and science and and so everything military especially is going to be influenced by you know the kids that have grown up on the video games and the consoles and and the pilots right and all the training that's going to change the innovation and technology there but it's really it's really cool to see and you'll have such a power to help influence those kids as they come through uh, university of indianapolis so thanks for doing that yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, I hope that, I mean, I, that's part of the reason why I had to kind of get out of the military. I, the technology was changing with that so much, I couldn't keep up with that. So uh, it was time to retire anyway. I had been exhausted, so it was time to do something else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Well, well, Judd, thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you're doing in the community. Thank you for giving back to the VA. It is so important that we have people like you that are taking time now to say, you know what, I, what I went through is important and now I can give back and now I can, I can help add value to my own community. So I really, really appreciate you just being as transparent as you've been being on the everyday leaders program. I'm super excited that you were able to kind of come on here and, and share your story. And um, do you have any last words for us as far as, you know, how to just be, get that discipline in your life if you're missing it? Well, I mean, uh, you know, like I tell everybody, I mean, um, don't let those sweat the small stuff. I mean, uh, be respectful. I mean, my thing is, I mean, I, if I could say anything to anybody out there, it's like, I think people demand a lot of respect now. I mean, I say this nowadays, but maybe it's always been kind of, kind of the case, but, uh, people demand a lot of respect, but people don't want to give respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you got to respect people in order to, build and cultivate any kind of relationship and you got to be open 
You know, I mean, I've, I mean, even myself, I've been kind of at times like, well, you know, I believe in what I believe and I, yeah, I don't want to, but I think being open to other people is very, very important and at least walk a mile in their shoes before you, I think social media tends to take away a lot of that stuff, but it's, it's going to be a challenge with social media because when you see a word, when you see a, something that's, there's a lot of very, very high opinions on social media and, and it's almost like there's no, there's no human involved. Mm -hmm. There's no filter, right? There's no filter. Yeah. And, and I think it takes away the, it takes away like you and I talk one-on-one. We could text back and forth and disagree on something and it would be much more terrible than what we were just talking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I say just be wary. I mean, technology has taken off faster than we can emotionally control it. I think that's, uh, so it's, be, it's just being, it's being respectful of being respectful of your fellow person. You know, mm-hmm. That's, that's the best thing I can. I love that. And the and, power, the power of human connection, like you talked about, because that is, is going you know, it's not going away. It's changing, right? It's changing the way we connect. And so when you talked a little bit, and I and I want to touch on this a little bit, because as you go through the military and you're trying to achieve, you know, higher ranks, you become a little isolated in in what your capacity is because you're you're trying to impress your boss and then the people underneath of you, you're trying to, you know, create a persona so that they respect you. And that's kind of how we go through life, you know, in careers, in friendships, whatever. It's it's what what position do you hold, right, in that relationship? And so it's really hard. People become so isolated. I think now that's the been the one of the key themes through all of these programs I've learned is people tend to feel a lot of isolation today. And so yeah, um, how we can feel connected back together, right, to be able to share and help each other realize that, hey, you're not the only one going through this. And I may not experience exactly what you have, but I can identify with you and I can connect yeah. to you and help you. And and even in closing here, I'll say that, I mean, for years and years and years, I kind of pride myself on being the lone dog. But that's not, I don't think anybody can be a lone dog. Um, I think you need a, some sort of grounding in it. And, 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 it, and, and, and it doesn't have to be your wife or a lover. Or, you know, it, it, it just as long as you have somebody to at least bounce something off of i mean you know, pinocchio had jiminy cricket you know i mean it's just like you know, i'm just saying <laughs> we don't that's that's kind of <laughs> okay that's going on this post <laughs> i'm gonna remember uh, you, you t- forever <laughs> i mean too often people waller in their own being the lone dog and i think even and, and there's no connection just text somebody. You, you can't get the connection. You get information on texting or on social media, but you can't get the connection. We need to make those kinds of connections as mm-hmm. far as our, you know, I mean, and, I mean, you, you need it. And that's a good source of grounding that everybody needs to have. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for everybody to have a, some sort of grounding of some sort of relationship. And it, it doesn't have to be a, well, I mean, it can be a friend. It can be just a father, mother, son, daughter, your cat. I mean, I'm just saying it's, it's important to have a good grounding. Yep. It really is. Because if you don't, you're going to just be an electrical volt that goes crazy if you don't have a ground. Yep. Feeling like you're in a bubble, right? And feeling exactly right. alone. And that's uh, and that's not a good way to, to try to go through life because... And, and I say that from many failures in that aspect also. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. That's, that's my closing. I 
probably, it's probably a lot longer than what you expect. <laughs> no, not not at all. Because, you know, my company is based around making connections for life. And that's the truth. I think that the I value so many people in my life that I've watched. And that was the purpose for this program, to to reconnect and bring people back that have really inspired me and, and watched them as they're leading lives and saying, well, you know, what's been going on? And how are you really experiencing the challenges that you have and how can you help others? So part of it, Jed, thank you very, very much for coming on Everyday Leaders. You are show 30, 37. So, wow, thanks a lot. Show 37. So 37. Thirty-seven oh. of fifty and fifty. Okay. Yeah. No, I was way off. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, the head, right? Oh no no no! <laughs> but uh, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna be posting this. I want people to connect to you. Thanks for all that you're doing at the VA, and uh, we will get you in the Everyday Leaders Fifty and Fifty Journal. People can connect to you. Also here in Indianapolis at the University of Indianapolis, soon teaching history to the kids at, at U of I or adults that are coming back through. And uh, hopefully you can join us for the Leadership Summit March 2nd at the Art Museum. The people can connect to you there. So, Okay, you just need to post it. All right. It's have... been, very, been very inspiring to me too. Awesome. Well, glad to have you in my life and you have a fantastic fall. Right, you too, Melody. All right. <laughs> Bye. Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 Leadership Summit is coming to Indianapolis, Saturday, March 2nd, 2019. Join me along with the 50 and 50 guest from Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 podcast. This exclusive event will take place at the beautiful Newfields Indianapolis Museum of Art on Saturday, March 2nd, 2019. You won't want to miss this one-of-a-kind leadership workshop where you will personally engage with these 50 leaders and learn how to apply their strategies to live your life with success. Don't miss this opportunity. You can be a part of this exclusive inaugural leadership summit here in Indianapolis, March 2nd, 2019. Remember, there's limited space available, so reserve your spot now. If you know of anyone that would be interested in sponsoring this exclusive event, please have them contact me directly at make at makeconnectionsforlife.com. Thank you for following the podcast of Everyday Leaders 50 and 50.